morning. Normally, um, we wouldn't spend time introducing a, a speaker that we know so well. But uh, this morning, I couldn't resist. I wanted to say a few words before we welcome Brad Brady together um, up here this morning. About a month ago, when I asked uh, Jim Davis for last week and Brad Brady for this week because I knew the message that God had working in them already was perfect for a transition into a new year. When I asked him to speak about a month ago, we had no idea, any of us, that last week, six days ago, Brad would um, lose his younger brother, Brett, who died um, this past Monday. But God knew. <laughs> But even so, when I first got the news last week, I called Dave Beatty and I said, uh, well, um, I'm back in town. I'm happy to take Sunday, just assuming, of course, that um, we wouldn't ask Brad to speak today. And Dave assured me, no, he had talked with Brad and Brad was still, um, was still on. Well, I remained unconvinced. Because <laughs> I know Brad, as many of you do. Um, he's a man who keeps his promises. He's a man of duty and integrity, and I know... He'd do it just because he said he would do it, and I, I, I didn't want him to take one for the team in that way when we had someone that would be more than willing to do it for him. But when I called him up, um, the amazing thing that I heard in his voice, both on my voicemail back to me and then yesterday when he delivered the eulogy for Brett at the funeral service, I heard him say, you know, Todd, um, I not only want to bring God's message this morning despite Brett's death. But really in me, there's even more of a need. I, I feel God calling me here to share this with my West Bowles family because of Brett's death. And right then I thought of the verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. The one that goes, I'll paraphrase it because the Greek's a little tricky. It sounds stilted in the English. It's where God, through the Apostle Peter, says when life happens, when it gets hard especially, always be prepared to give the reason, to give an answer to people who ask for the reason of why is it you still have hope? Well, that's what our brother and our friend Brad Brady is prepared to do with us this morning with family, to give the reason for the hope that is in Him. Would you pray with me, please? Father in Heaven, You knew that um, on the first Sunday of 2008 that You would put on Your sons and heirs and friends and our brother Brad Brady's heart to share Your message with us this morning despite and because of the hard road You have Brad and his family on today. And Father, I firmly believe, given Your sovereignty, that it's for such a time as this that You have Brad here, both for him and his family, I'm sure, but Father, also such a time as this for us here. And I'd ask, Father, that You would give us, as we pull up a chair to share with the message You put on Brad's heart, You would give us not only the ears to hear or the minds to think about, 
but you would also give us the hands and the feet to do and to act on this powerful message that you've given Brad to ring in 2008 in the midst of incredibly tough and painful circumstances in his own life. Father, we love you, and we ask now that you draw near and free Brad in a way that he's never felt before. Reanoint him, Father, with the power of your Holy Spirit to bring us your words. We ask all of this in the matchless name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Would you join me in welcoming our brother, Brad Brady, this morning? Oh, boy. Thank you, Todd, very much. Uh, yeah, this was kind of a tough week, guys, but uh, God, I love you guys so much. It's just so great to be up here today. You know, the message I'm going to talk about today was not really, um, it was a message I actually gave in the 40s and 50s class a few weeks back. And uh, it, uh, it was on this theme that we've had running throughout the church uh, this past year, this, this theme of legacy living, right? And legacy living is really just living the way God expects us to, uh, to live. And uh, yeah, we, we've done different themes in legacy living. We've talked about family. We've talked about different things. And, and so we're on this, this topic of, of giving back. And uh, so I gave this lesson in the 30s and 40s class and, and uh, Todd and, and the staff thought maybe it's a good idea to, uh, to hear this message at the beginning of a new year. It's kind of that type of message. So uh, that's why I'm here today. And um, yes, my brother passed away this week. And I'm going to kind of circle back on that because I think it really applies to uh, the message that you're going to hear this morning. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the parable of the talents. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 29. Um, we're going to take a slightly different look at this parable, uh, uh, maybe a slightly different perspective on how this parable might specifically apply to us here at West Bowles Community Church. In a way, I think it's a challenge that God lays right at our doorstep this morning to put to use what God has entrusted to you and I here at West Bowles to respond to this. What I'm going to tell you about is a huge spectrum of need that I think surrounds us in our community here in order to bring people of this community the message the good news, offering them an introduction to a new way of living that brings people closer to God so that they can experience his blessing, his love and, and his joy. So we're going to look at Matthew 25, 14 through 29, the parable of the towns. And by the way, parables, it, Jesus used parables, not just uh, as cute little illustrations, but he actually used them to reveal truth to his followers. And he used them to kind of mask the truth from those spiritual looky-loos that are out there that aren't really serious about following Jesus. So as we look at this parable, let's, let's feel what God is saying to us right here, right now at West Bowles Community Church. Okay, we look at it. He starts by saying again, it will be like, and what he's talking about here, um, let me set this up for you a little bit. Jesus is actually talking about the second advent, right? We just got through the advent season. He's talking about his second coming. When he returns, Jesus, uh, in the previous verses, is sitting with his disciples who asked him uh, about the end of the age and, and when he would return, what it would be like. And Jesus' uh, response includes this familiar parable. He, 
And he makes clear what God expects out of you and I. He says this, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said. You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I've not uh, sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Well, you know, we just got through the Christmas season, and uh, we're right into the new year now. And, you know, there's something special about the Christmas season. That, that time we kind of mark on our calendars between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the Advent season. You know, for me, I really do feel... A connection with God like at no other time of the year. I really feel like I've moved closer to the things of God and the things of heaven than to the things of this earth. And, you know, maybe it's because I participated. I'm sure this is one of the reasons I participated with the Christmas program this year. And, you know, there's something about during the Christmas program. We're here almost every night, either in rehearsal or in a performance, but there is something about the fact that when you're focused on that kind of work, you know, we're singing songs that are all hymns of our faith. So, so we're kind of writing God's word on our hearts and we're, we're performing together. It's not about the performance. It's about serving together with a bunch of other believers to bring this message of hope, this gospel message uh, to a community that really needs it. So you feel kind of caught up in that and your whole world starts revolving closer and closer to the things of God. I think it's no wonder that uh, the Lord says to Joshua, he says, do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. And in Deuteronomy, the Lord says he commands these commands are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down 
when you get up. God knows that we need to feed on His Word and meditate on it daily, hourly, minute by minute. Because you know what happens when you do that? You become closer to God, closer to the things of heaven. But it doesn't take long for the world to press you back into its form, right? I mean, right after the Christmas program was over, after we celebrated Christmas, we get going right into the new year. When, when we were doing the Christmas program, I would listen to the CD of all the music, mainly because I was afraid of Steve Burns and he told me to do it. So I, I'd plug that in. So I would know the music really well, right? So I'd be driving to work, singing the songs, all that good stuff. But then after the Christmas program was over, sure enough, I'm back on AM 950, the fan listening to Irvin Joe talk about the Broncos. So the world has an incredible way of kind of, I, I use the metaphor, a waffle iron. It waffles you out of shape. It impresses its mark on you and it, it, it makes you into its image. But it's in that joyful state where I was felt so much closer to God, uh, so much more in mind of heavenly things, so much of a connection and closeness. I really felt compelled at that time to reach out to those others around me because I noticed everybody kind of going about their busy, busy lives during the Christmas season and how my life was feeling so much different. I had so much joy uh, and I was experiencing this. I wanted to share it with those around me. I wanted to let them in on this good news, if you will. Well, that's really the purpose of the church. God created it to be salt and light in a bland and shadowy world. We're called to be his ambassadors, announcing and bringing this good news, drawing people uh, nearer to God. You know, Jesus said, if you go to the next uh, slide there, Jesus said, you're in the world, but you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out of that world. And that's really the feeling I had during that Christmas season. I felt kind of separated from the world. The church, ecclesia, actually means the called out, the set apart. And that's what we are. We are called out of the world. We are set apart. But then he commissions us in Matthew 28 to go right back into the world with a mission, right? Reaching out to those around us to do what? To make disciples. I think we just talked about that at our town hall meeting. That's going to be a key thing for us here at the church. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them a better way to live life. The best way. His way. The way. You know, I know some Christians who, uh, who don't want to have contact with the world because they think they're going to be contaminated by it. So they kind of hide out in that set-apart uh, environment. I don't think that's what God expects of His people. You look at the early Christians. They took Jesus' commission to heart. You look at Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, the others, as we're studying the book of Acts. They deliberately went straight into the great cities of the Greek and Roman Empire of that time, Antioch, Ephesus, even Rome, the decadent capital. And they longed to bring the message, the good news, so that God can make his impression on that community, on those people. You know, Christians don't have a corner on, uh, on generosity and kindness in the world, but certainly, uh, historically, the church has always been there to help and make a difference in the communities when others have cut and run when the problems come. You know, under Roman law, if you had a child you didn't want, uh, maybe your teenager gets uh, out of whack a little bit, you had the right not to kill your child, but to leave it on a hillside to the gods 
Well, it was the early Christians who went to these hills and, and brought those children into their community to care for them. You know, we have historical records uh, from non-Christian authors, uh, just historians that record that during certain plagues that would uh, infest a, a, a city, you know, people would leave the city. People would abandon their sick and split. And it was the early Christians who stayed at, to care for the sick, exposing themselves to the disease and sometimes catching it and dying it from them. Uh, and, and people couldn't figure this out. Even one of the bad boy emperors of the time, uh, he wrote in his journal, he says, those impetuous Christians, they not only care for their own sick, but for ours as well. Well, how does this all apply to us today, this uh, this example of the early Christians, the the parable of the talents, the uh, the great commission that Jesus gives us. You know what? God has placed us, West Bulls, smack dab in the middle of suburbia, right? Littleton, Colorado. And he's equipped us with an abundance of of spiritual gifts here at this church. From, from Pastor Todd and his incredible teaching ability, Pastor George and his, and his big heart and his caring, all the way down to the various ministries we have, to the, ki- the guys that work with the youth group, the guys that work with our children. All the way through here, we're, we have an abundance of uh, spiritual gifts. And he built and entrusted to us an incredible facility to provide sanctuary for an impoverished community that needs what we have here so badly. Well, you might say, wait a minute, what do you mean an impoverished community? This is an affluent, upscale, self-sufficient suburban community. Well, on the surface, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? But you pull back the covers a bit, you get beneath that surface, and you'll expose a huge spectrum of needs that exist out there. Remember, this is the same community that was stunned by the tragedy at Columbine. The whole nation watched and and wondered how something so horrific could happen in in such an upscale, affluent community. You know what? There is a huge spectrum of need right outside these doors, right here in this community. There's some really impoverished people in our community. Not talking about financially. Some of these people are making huge sums of money, sleeping in silk uh, sheets at night. But their lives are as empty as tin cans on the side of a road. And we are called, church, to come alongside the emptiness of suburban wealth to teach them the good news that God has a better way to live that will fulfill their lives in ways money can't. There are families out there that on the surface look like the model American family. The parents and the kids have ultra bright smiles. They in public, they have the walk and talk down perfectly. They have the great house with all the trimmings. But inside that house, that family is so busted up and fragmented. They don't even relate to each other. And we are called to come alongside them and help them find a place of healing and stability for their family. Now, there are children out there, kids that are abandoned, not to a hillside in old Roman times, but but they're left alone by parents who are too busy to really care about them. They're left alone to raise themselves. If you look at Matthew 18, 5 and 6, it says, And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, some translations have to stumble, It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths 
of the sea. Well, some of these parents would say, that's good. I'm not causing my children to stumble. I'm not causing them to sin. Well, how do we cause them to stumble? You leave them alone. You let them raise themselves. The world will teach them how to hate, how to despise, how to be hopeless, how to have ice in their veins. And God says to the church, where were you? You know, God has placed a smack dab in the middle of these needs and others. This is our community. This is our city. And we are called to be salt and light and to make a difference right here. I want you to look around us this morning. I want you to look at this incredible facility that God built and entrusted to us. You know, we're going to take a few moments to kind of tour through this place. But Dave Beatty told me that uh, we were getting refinanced back in the fall and, and a, a church appraiser came by to give us an appraisal. He was doing an appraisal of a lot of other churches in the Denver metro area. And he told Dave, we may not be the biggest church in the area, but we certainly are by far the most impressive. Well, let's take a look at this place. You know, we come in here on Sundays and sometimes we have tunnel vision. We go about what we're supposed to do, but we don't really look around. We don't really see what God has given us here. You know, it's like in retailing. In the retailing business, they tell you to change up the displays every couple of weeks. You know why? Because they become invisible, not only to your employees, but to uh, your customers as well. So let's kind of take a look around here and, and really try to see what God has given us. You know, this church, it sits on 17 acres of land. Most of that land was donated by one particular family. They bought it and gave it to us. And uh, the zoning requires that we have uh, 40% of that land left in open space. And that means you have 60%, of course, for your buildings and your parking. But what a blessing that 40% of open space is. We've got this huge athletic kind of facility, uh, uh, lawn out here that we can use for a variety of functions. You know, you come by here in the summertime on a Friday night, what do you see? You have Frisbee football going on out there. The youth use that field a lot. Remember when we were out there for the church picnic, that great service we were able to have right out there in the open on the lawn? It was fantastic. You know, we have a beautifully landscaped uh, prayer garden out there. Uh, not so uh, uh, cozy in January, but July, it's really great. It's a great place for reflection and meditation. Not too many churches have that. And you know, this church started... The land we got here, the only thing that was on it was this old house that still sits right over here. It's where the church offices are. It's on the other side of the youth building, that old house and an old broken down barn that I think is still there. Sometimes I miss that, but it's still there. And, you know, that's all that was here. There was a dirt road. Bulls was just a dirt road. I'm not talking about wagon train days. I'm talking about just like 1990. So it wasn't that long ago. But they hadn't completed the intersection up here at 470. They hadn't completed 470. So there was just a dirt road out here. And that old house became the first offices for the church. I'll never forget walking into it. George, Pastor George's office was the living room. That's where his office was. Dave Beatty had one of the front bedrooms. Uh, Steve Burns, they put in the back bedroom. I don't know why, but they, they put him back there. But it's been remodeled since then, but it still serves as the staff's church offices today. Then God built us his first church here, which is now the youth building, but it was that little white church on bowls. It's this building right over here. 
In the beginning, we, you know, we begged, borrowed, and, and uh, we didn't steal, but we begged and borrowed, and uh, the people gave whatever they could. We had uh, borrowed pews. Uh, we had a linoleum floor, had a little tiny stage in there, and the church held 300 people. I remember the first uh, Christmas uh, program that we had in that church. Steve was at it back then, too. And uh, the plumbing was so bad, we had to rent a bunch of porta-potties and put them outside the church in December uh, to take care of the people's needs. But uh, anyway, we, we worked our way up to three services a day, and we were overflowing in that time. So we, we took on our first big, major building project. you remember what that was? The South Stands. There you go, Bronco fans. Well, if you were here at West Bowles, we decided to build the South Stands in that little building. And what we did was we took the back of the auditorium and kind of angled it up. We added about 100 more seats so that we could uh, handle about 400 people. But you know what? It wasn't long before we were overflowing from that. We had people hanging from the rafters at church most Sundays. And if a fire marshal ever came in, he was sure to have shut us down. But that church... We were able, or that building, we were able to uh, create a place for our youth. It's now our youth building. And after Columbine, we, re- we renamed it the Cassie Bernal Youth Center. You know, it can still handle up to 400 youths on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. Uh, they have youth group there on Sunday night. They have a, uh, a study on Sunday mornings. They have their own stage, lights, and sound. They have their own music there, their own praise team there. It's a place where the youth of our church can hang out. They have a lounge downstairs, a, a game room. They have classrooms. They not only use it on Sundays, but they also uh, use it for other classes and ministry things like a discipleship class that they have going during the week. Now, how many churches are blessed with something like that for their young people? If I can continue the tour, we walk out of the youth building, kind of up the stairs, and you're in a place we call the gathering place. It's kind of the middle of the church. It's like a, it's like a kitchen in a home where people seem to, seem to gather. We have a Starbucks-like uh, coffee bar with a little bit of food if you're hungry on Sunday mornings. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but you know the, the workers there, that's, that's our college group in action. They're all volunteers the college group of the church decided that that's one of the areas they could really pitch in and help. So every Sunday morning, they're here early, getting that coffee ready, getting those donuts ready, getting those breakfast burritos ready. They, they ran the coffee bar during the Christmas program every night that we were open, and they, they made about 1000 bucks a night. Every cent of that is going to help them with their mission in Peru that they have. Coming up. So never forget to say thanks to those people. Anyway, that whole area, they have cafe tables. We have comfortable sofas. We have we have TVs there. We have just great, comfortable surroundings that we can kind of hang out. Right. We used to even have some Sunday night concerts in there where we could come and enjoy some good Christian music. Uh, This fall, we had Monday night football. If you wanted to attend that. Now, right behind the coffee bar, we have our library. How many of you have been into the library? Okay, not quite half of you. I'm telling you what, this is an incredible facility. It's two stories of wood-paneled warmth. they got a great big fireplace right in the middle. It's a great place for study, for research, for contemplation. And we're still trying to build our inventory of books. Uh, but right there now we have some books, commentaries, Bible studies, reference materials for some of the best Christian authors. It's really an incredible facility for a church to have. 
you continue the, t- the tour, you go downstairs, and we've got this multi-function area down there that on Sunday mornings we, we, divide up, we can divide it up into three classrooms by putting those dividers up. And each uh, classroom is equipped with its own sound system, its own screen, its own projector, its own media setup. You open those uh, dividers up and you have a great big fellowship area. We have a food preparation, kind of a kitchen area right outside those doors uh, and, a, and kind of a serving bar. So we can host things like wedding receptions, uh, big parties, special events like our chili cook-off and our, our little, Harvest, little Saints Harvest Festival. You come out of that part, you walk into this great big old gymnasium, which is the envy of many of the schools in this area. Now, on Monday night, you go into that gymnasium, it's packed with little kids in our Awana program. That's where they do their Awana games. It's all lined out and marked up for the Awana games. But it also is, uh, I think we must have six uh, baskets down there, so we can uh, play a lot of basketball down there, or we can play volleyball there. As a matter of fact, the young marrieds, I'm not sure what night you guys meet there, but I think the young marrieds uh, come like on Tuesday night and the guys play basketball and the girls chat and watch their guys kind of show off a bit. But it's a great fellowship time for that age group. We, we are able to host basketball leagues, not only our own in-church leagues and volleyball leagues, but, but some leagues from outside our church, too. It's like having our own rec center here at our church. Then you come out of that and you go into the children's area, the children's classroom area, nursery area. You go down there, it's still decked out for Vacation Bible School, which is a big event here at West Bowles. It's great. You, you turn the corner and there you're in another fellowship area, complete with a kitchen. We've held a, a variety of functions there. We had a romantic Valentine's dinner one night in there. We've had uh, choir retreats there. And remember when we used to do Sunday Night Connection down there? Good times down there. Okay, you come upstairs to our main sanctuary, and this is where things get really kind of extraordinary. The sanctuary you're in, we have uh, on the main floor here, we have 800 fixed seats. So it seats 800 in the fixed seats that you're in. We have 260 seats up in the balcony for a total of 1,060, and that's without bringing in extra chairs. So that's what we can handle usually during a normal service very comfortably you'll notice you're in theater chairs we didn't buy those new we bought them used to save a buck or two as a matter of fact i always cracked up because we didn't pay any attention to the numbers that are on the seats they're in no particular order you might be in number 247 and you might be in a6 over here they're just all over the place but that's kind of the way we do things here at west bowls then we get to the stage and the media capabilities of this place If you've never seen a church auditorium quite like this, uh, you're not alone. I don't think one really exists. You know, I keep telling you there's probably no facility like it here in town other than the Temple Buell Theater. Now, here's a true story. If you want to know where this design concept came from, you know, our own Steve Burns, he has a friend, uh, our choir director, Steve Burns, he has a friend named Kent Homchek. Kent Homchek designs sets Uh, for plays from Broadway in New York to San Francisco. And Kent helped us with this year's Christmas program. All those sets he designed and and we built. But one year, before we built this church, Kent had a a play going on down at Temple Buell Theater, and he invited Steve, who invited a bunch of us that were in the choir, to go down and uh, watch the play and then get kind of a behind-the-scenes tour 
of the stage. So we watched the play. We went behind the scenes. And all of a sudden, I noticed Steve Burns out there kind of pacing off the stage at, at Temple Buell Theater. And I went up to him and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm just trying to get the dimensions for our new stage at our new church. I said, what are you, crazy? He said, Brad, don't you think God deserves the very best? I had no response for that. He had, he had got me there. And you know what? There is so much truth in that. In the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th centuries, you go back to Europe and in each city or community you go to, not only were the churches the biggest and most beautiful buildings in the community, but the churches were also the cultural centers of those communities. The best music, the best art, the best dance, the best theater, all the great composers of their day, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, all their compositions were played where? In the church. The best artists, Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel, right? All the best cultural arts of the time all took place in the churches. Well, we're blessed here. We have a stage equal to or greater than Temple Buell. But one of the really things that sets it apart is this fly gallery that we have here. It's kind of a rare thing. It's really rare because there's a height restriction on how high you can build a building here in this area. And you know what we had to do? This thing is about 40 feet high up from there. But we were way over the height restriction, so we had to dig down in order to go up. We're still 10 feet over the uh, height restriction, but don't tell anybody. God, God kind of worked that, worked that out for us. Uh, but the fly gallery allows us to fly in, literally, uh, scenes, he, uh, curtains, uh, screens, sets. You know, you can actually rent backgrounds from uh, Broadway plays from New York. They have catalogs of old scenery that they've used before. And because we have a facility that is much like those facilities with a fly gallery, we can rent various backgrounds. We've bought a couple over the years. But if you want to have a background of downtown New York and they have one, you can rent it and we could hook it up here and transform our stage into downtown New York. Not only do we have that capability, but we got a full orchestra pit. It's disappeared right now, but it is under there, uh, which is a real plus for full-scale productions. On the wings, we have storage for sets uh, that we built. We have a full costume shop over here, dressing rooms. Downstairs, we have a complete wood shop for uh, set construction. Then we get to the technical stuff that we have. In the fly gallery, we have 30 flies. That's a lot of flies. We can do 30 different scenes up and down. We have over 100 microphones. We have over 100 theater lights here. Many of those were donated. Uh, and the lighting system's computer controlled, so they can actually program what lights come on and off at what times. We have a state-of-the-art sound system. We have camera and video and, and editing capabilities. And all this gives us a chance to change the look and the mood of a service instantly. And it's and several times during a one-hour service. Plus, we're able to cover a wide range of musical styles, from choral music to rock and roll. And they all sound pretty good here. Uh, we have 36 wireless mics that allow us to pull off productions like, like Christmas, where we can mic all the actors and all the singers separately. It was pretty impressive. No wonder that appraiser said that was we have the most impressive facility, right? Or maybe you're out there saying, well, Brad, that, uh, 
you sound pretty prideful. You know, you sound pretty materialistic about all this stuff we have. You know, church should be about God and and God's people. It's about meeting together as a community of believers, uh, worshiping God, relating to God and and each other. We don't need a place like this and all this stuff to do that. No, we can meet at that old abandoned Albertsons down the street and do that. You know, you're right. Yes, we could do that. As a matter of fact, this place, it costs us an arm and a leg. You know, they classify it. We're a church. They classify us as a nonprofit uh, organization. And we really are a nonprofit organization here at West Bowles. We, we live hand to mouth on everything. We, we have nothing extra. Part of our financial concerns and our financial problems, uh, we, we get various studies, you know, on, on how much should be spent of your budget on certain things for a church of our size. Well, we have a, we have a church uh, on a Sunday morning. It usually averages around 1,000 people here every Sunday morning. And so you look at what uh, churches that average about 1,000 people spend on various things, and we spend a disproportionate amount of what we take in on building and facility here. Not just a little bit, but we are way over. We're way off the charts. And the elders, these good men that you have elected to serve here, God bless them. They're always faithful. And they're always very hungry, hum- humble, <laughs> hungry. Boy, was that a slip. I know those guys. They are very hungry. But they're also very humble. And they're always trying to be good stewards uh, with the money that comes in. I, I know I was one of them for a while. And you know what? We barely make ends meet. Sometimes we sit there and wonder how we're going to meet our obligations. Uh, we wondered last fall how, we'd ever, how we were ever going to get refinanced. We had a balloon payment coming up. And we were really sweating it a little bit. We were praying a lot. So these elders are trying to be good stewards. You, know, you, you sit down and you take a look at our budget and... And it's just like looking at a family budget, right? You're looking at where your money's going, where it's being spent. And you, you realize, you know, gosh, we have too big a house for what our family really needs. I mean, it's too big a house for, for this size of family. There was even discussion, and I was one of the proponents. I said, you know, I could read a balance sheet. You'd, you'd look at it and you'd say, okay, this facility, it's worth this much and we owe this much. Hey, maybe we ought to sell this place. And go find something that better fits our needs. Our needs. Our needs? You know what? I don't think it's about our needs. It's about God's purpose and what He has entrusted to us. You know, no matter, here's the truth of the situation, no matter how much we fret, And God tells us not to worry about these things. But no matter how much we fret about our finances, the fact is God has kept meeting our financial needs every single time. We've never missed a mortgage payment. We've never been late on any kind of expense payment. And sometimes we wonder how we're going to meet those things. And miraculously, God always provides And he provided just what we need to keep us in this place, this incredible facility, this church. You know, only one mortgage company wanted to talk to us. Why? Because our ratios were all out of whack because of the size of our congregation. Well, obviously, that one mortgage company was sent by God because they refinanced us. And God gave us a way to stay here in this facility. 
I want you to look at this parable again. Uh, go ahead and change the slide if you could, guys. He said uh, he called his servants and entrusted his what? His property to them. This isn't ours. It's his. It's not our facility to gloat about or be prideful in or be, to be impressed with. It's his purpose. And his purpose is to make an impression not for us to gloat about, but an impression to leave his mark in and on this community for his kingdom, for his glory. And you know, it's interesting. It says he, he gave the talents out each according to his ability. It's obvious that God kept us here for a reason. It's obvious that God believes that we here at West Bulls Community Church are equipped with the spiritual gifts that we possess. We're capable of doing amazing things with this. But the truth of the parable is that he entrusts his property to us to put it to work. As you see in the parable, the, the guy that received five talents, he went out at once and put it to work. For him, not for us. Parable says that after a long time, the master came back to settle accounts. What If Jesus came back today, you know, if he came back today, one thing I don't think he would think was, is very cool is that this extraordinary facility that he provided for us, that he kept us in, that he equipped with spiritually gifted people for a purpose of ministering to the needs of this community, making disciples and drawing people closer to him, is being used by just a thousand people when he prepared room purposely for five times that many. I'm not trying to get on your case this morning. I just wanted you to see that God entrusted his property to us. And he, I truly believe he kept us here. And now he's expecting us to put it to work for him. Let's not be like the servant who was afraid and went and hid what was entrusted to him so that nothing was gained for the master. In the parable, if you go to the next slide, he calls that serpent wicked and lazy. And what did he do? He took the talent, he took that, what he, that property away from that servant, and he gave it to a servant he calls good and faithful, who would put it to use for the master's benefit. Whether it's obvious to you, uh, us or not, there is a great need out there in this community. There are people with empty lives. There are families with broken homes. There's kids being raised, not in the ways of the Lord, but in the ways of the world. And God has prepared this place and thus his body to make a difference in their lives. He's got it all set up. And all we have to do, West Bulls, is go out there and invite people into God's sanctuary. He's commissioned us to go out into this community, bring these back, so in here God can minister to their needs. And you know what? In 2008, if we're going to give back, one way we can give back is by simply inviting people into his house. Let's have a great big open house here. Roll out the red carpet. Invite them in. I'm not telling you you have to go out and convert them first. Uh, just invite them. Get them here and God will do the rest. Invite them to church next Sunday. Invite them to youth group tonight. If you know a family in your neighborhood that has young kids, invite them to be part of our Awana group. If you know somebody that needs some help, we've got classes all during the week. Invite them to one of those. If they really need help, we've got the Band of Brothers. Invite them to be part of the Band of Brothers or Women to Women. 
Invite them to the special programs like the Christmas pageant or Easter or some of those things we do. Extend the invitation. And it's not about numbers. Please hear me in that. It's not about the numbers. It's about God's purpose. Because God cares about the people who need Him most. And there's some hurting people out there that need what God has in store for them within these doors. You know, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 10, 17 through 19. It says, God, your God, is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. He doesn't play favorites, takes no bribes. He makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly. Takes loving care of foreigners by seeing they get food and clothing. You must treat foreigners with the same loving care. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. Why should we invite people here? Why should we let them in on this? It's not a secret. It's the good news. It's because what that verse says. Remember, we were foreigners once too. You know, uh, when you're down and out, you remember two types of people when you're really down and out. You remember those that kicked you while you were down. But you remember mostly those that helped you when you're down and gave you that hand up. How much has this place meant to you? I can tell you how much it means to me and my family. You know, my brother passed away this week. A perfect example of how much I need you guys and how much God has ministered to my life, my family's life. We've had, and it's not about us, it's about every, every one of you has a story in this room that you could be up here talking about. But we've had some loss in our family over the last three years. We've lost three brothers between Katie and I. Lots of loss. But you know what? You know what got us through that? God, obviously. But how did he do that? Through you guys. You guys were not only there physically to help us, but you were lifting us up in prayer. It was just amazing. And I look at uh, my daughter, Courtney, my daughter, Christy, already left back for school. But I think about when we came here, I used to say that my whole, our whole family grew up in this church. But my kids, it was so great to have a place like that where God could minister to them and they could be brought up in a godly environment. It means so much to us. Now, I know that out there in that community, there are others that don't have that, that don't have that. Maybe there's a family in your neighborhood that's lost somebody and they have nowhere to go to heal that hurt. Invite them here. They'll meet a God that can take care of, wipe every tear away, take care of every need. Maybe there's a family in your neighborhood that you see that just aren't, it's just not working for them. Their kids are in trouble. They're fighting all the time. Just bring them in here. You know, I don't care what they look like and, and how they act. God wants this place to be open to all those people because he cares about them. And God will minister them here. So let's open. This is what we've got to do in 2008. Let's get out there and invite those people into this incredible place. Why? Because it's meant so much to me. It's meant so much to you and your lives, too. Thing is, when we do that and get these people here, God gets the glory. Those people get the incredible blessing. And we, uh, good and faithful servants, we share in the Master's happiness in that. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for what you've given us.
Help us open our eyes to what You've done for us, God. There's no place like this. And Father, I just want to thank You. I, yesterday was such a trying day for me, You know, but I am so glad I'm here today with my brothers and sisters. Thank You for creating a place like this that I could come to and just feel that spirit of love and joy like no other place in the world. Father, help us to get out there in this community and bring those people the same message. Help us to invite them in so they can experience that love and that joy and, that, uh, and your glory and your blessing like nothing else can give them in the world. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Happy New Year, you guys.